This is episode number 164 with the expert on how to create a thriving multi-generational family business, Dr. Dennis Jaffe. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. My name is Nick Carrier, lifestyle entrepreneur and fitness trainer. My goal is for you to gain more clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like, what the best version of yourself is capable of, and then to provide you the tools, tips, and inspiration on how to make that person a reality. Today, I bring you Dr. Dennis Jaffe. Dr. Jaffe is an advisor to families about family business, governance, wealth, and philanthropy. And he is the author of Borrowed From Your Grandchildren, The Evolution of 100-Year Family Enterprises. In this episode, Dr. Jaffe talks about why family businesses fail, how sometimes first-generational successes can lead to a downfall in the second or third generation. He talks about how setting family and business guidelines in advance can be the thing that saves both the family and the business. And he also talks about how older generations should be investing in the younger generations and so much more. Make sure you take a screenshot of this episode when you're listening and post it to your Instagram story and tag me at carrier underscore best you and let me know your favorite part. Make sure you share this episode with a friend or family member. Just share with them the link from the podcast or text them nickcarrier.com slash podcast. Send this to someone who is part of a family business or is thinking of starting one. Who knows, this episode could be the very thing that saves them from a future downfall. Also, if you're struggling to work out during this quarantine, go to nickcarrier.com slash fitness and pick up and pick up my ebook, The Bodyweight Grind. It's just $10. It's a four-week bodyweight workout program that is perfect during this quarantine. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on getting closer to the best version of yourself today with the one, the only, Dr. Dennis Jaffe. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm super pumped today for this interview that I have with Dr. Dennis Jaffe. I just want to start with saying, Dr. Jaffe, thanks so much for spending time with me today. Well, I'm I'm delighted to be able to share uh, with this group. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, so Dr. Jaffe, to introduce you real quick, is an advisor to families about family business, governance, wealth, and philanthropy. You're an author of, of several books, but newest book is called Borrowed from Your Grandchildren, The Evolution of 100-Year Family Enterprises. And I've been diving into it this past week, and it's been awesome. And we were just talking about beforehand that it is some of the things that make a successful family business and make a business successful from generation to generation is very applicable to improving yourself and self-development and everything like that. So really excited to get into things like that. But you also, to introduce you further, you have a bachelor's, master's, and PhD all from Yale University, which is super cool and impressive. And uh, you're also professor emeritus of organizational systems and psychology at Saybrook University. And that's actually kind of where, where I wanna to start today. So you started as a professor back in 1980, in this area of kind of organizational systems and psychology, at what point did you kind of decide that you wanted to start to focus on families? Well, before I went into um, being an organizational professor, when I was actually in college, um, I did a social service thing where we ran a house for runaways. And this was in the 60s. And so there were these people running away and going to the streets and saying, I'm never going to talk to my parents again. And um, they had legitimate beefs with their parents, but the future on the streets was not you know, much, much better. So we ran this house and we got the kids together with their parents to talk about values and rules and expectations and, and differences. And I did that for a while and that was nice and I enjoyed it. 
But then I went on and I got an MBA and I got a uh, degree and started teaching. But I had that experience and background in working with families. And so in the early 80s, actually, um, nobody in business school or management really looked at family businesses. They were seen as kind of like, um, there, there, there are a lot of them, and indeed, the majority of the businesses in the world are family businesses. But they were seen as kind of because of the family relationships and things, they tended to be, well, these are irrational and undeveloped businesses. And the business has to be rational and it has to get the family, um, you know, fights and things like that out of the business. So a group of people got together in the early 80s and said, wait a minute, there's good things about family businesses. People care about each other. People, um, you know, support each other. There, there's some good things. And let's look a little bit at, at how family businesses run. So out of that meeting, the field of family business um, began to be studied and people began to look at it. And, and because of that background that I had, I just got really interested and said, gee, these, these businesses, family businesses can really do wonderful things, bring families together, support their values. There are all kinds of things that families do. And so I began to um, shift from kind of high-tech companies to working with family businesses. And I've been working with family businesses ever since. And instead of trying to teach family businesses what they need to do to be rational businesses, what I've, I've come to do in the last few years is, is the opposite of that, is to teach other businesses what they can learn from family businesses and how the personal mm. things about a family business can really make a business a startup or a uh, you know kind of a non family business really effective and meaningful for people. Right. So it sounds like essentially kind of bringing the successful aspects of family business culture and trying to implement that into other businesses as well. Very cool. So there's this kind of saying that I had actually not heard before, before diving into your material, that's shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations, which is kind of one of the big reasons that you wrote the book, I'd assume, because it's kind of saying how the first generation kind of builds the wealth. And then by the third generation, it's essentially all not dried up, but it's it's definitely had a downfall. So I want you to dive a little bit more into why is that a problem? Like, why is there, why does this success lead to the downfall a couple of generations later? Well, I mean, first of all, when you're talking about a three generation business, a hundred year business, most businesses don't last. So you could have a high tech, you know, company and it's not going to go. So it's not a terrible thing that this happens. Sometimes a family has a restaurant or, you know, does something and they do a wonderful job and it goes for 30 years and then it kind of fades. That's not, a, that's not terrible. But some families really want to, you know, kind of stay together over the generations and they like what the business does and they, they want to see it they want to you know, be together and work together as a family. So families very often want to see continued success. And so they get frustrated or they, get, they feel helpless when they're not, not getting the results they want from the next generation. And so the challenge in a family is there's a wealth creator and it's how to continue wealth creation and competency and commitment into the next generation so that the kind of future generations can benefit from the business as well as the first and second generation. So 
I guess, did this phrase come about because when the study of family businesses started to really take off, that a lot of times people would see those businesses that wanted to succeed further and further and further for whatever reason kept kind of failing or stopping at that third generation point? Well, this is a, I mean, this shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves is a, a proverb that has been um, around for eons. So this, uh, you know, ancient times in China, people talked about it. And it talks about, you know, the nature of family sometimes is that the next generation um, coasts on the success of the elders. They don't really, um, they're not really prepared or ready to add to it. And this is, um, this is all over the world. This is a, a phenomenon. And um, the challenge for a family is if, the, if they don't want that to happen, the family has to take steps early on, not just you know, yell at people, but really take steps almost from the beginning to set things up for the future. That's kind of where I want to get right into actually did more of the, the practical stuff from the book. And so one thing that I have written down that, that I got from the book was that you have kind of written three practices that lead to a successful G1 or generation one to generation two transition. And one of those things is affirming a shared purpose. Does this come from the leader or the first entrepreneur of G1 really communicating what their purpose is for the business and then just communicating that to G2? Or is it kind of like a collective figuring out what the purpose is together? No, well, the problem is when the G1 tries to dictate it to the next generation. First of all, the problems in the second generation of any business are different than the first generation. So let's say the first generation had a created a wonderful business and it was really successful. In order to keep the success going, the business has to keep innovating, has to keep changing. Industry is changing. The, the business has to expand. And so um, the older generation may set a vision, but the uh, younger generation and the, um, the people that are working in the business have to fit that vision for the next generation. So the, what we find in these families is it isn't the dictator you know, telling people what to do and then they follow. Um, and when they do that, actually, they get the opposite result, the, the followers try to copy them or, or, you know, really aren't interested and, and they feel like they're not being listened to. And so they, they really um, tune it out. What we see in successful families is the elder generation says, we have a vision, we have some values, we have some things that we care about, but we want to learn from you. You guys, we've spent a lot of money to educate you. We've sent you to good schools um, that we often, the parents did not have the benefit of going to. We've, um, you know, we, the world is changing. Older generation doesn't understand the digital world. We don't understand the connected, wired world. So um, you have to tell us. And also, it may be that the business has run its course and the business has to be sold and the family has to transition from being a business to being a, a series of businesses or, or an investment group or a what we call a family office. So the next generation and the third generation has to do it differently. And what we find in these families is the, the first and second generation, they're not democratic and it isn't one person, one vote, but they listen to each other. And amazingly, the older generation that isn't really used to learning, they're used to being the teachers, uh, is also able to learn 
from the next generation. So they're, they're, we call it cross-generational engagement. The uh, older generation encourages the young generation to try experiments, but to do them responsibly and to do them to really think through and to develop their own capabilities, not to say, hey, I'm just going to go there and I'll show up when I show up. And, you know, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm my, my father's a boss, so I can uh, leave early. And they right. really have to be capable and, and add value to the business, not rest on uh, the, the past. So, so this is the, these are the things we see in successful family businesses. Yeah, it sounds like both generations, like anytime there's a transition from generation to generation, or, you know, there's always going to be people who, if, 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 if a business is that big, there's always going to be people in both generations currently active in the business. And it sounds like both need to be willing to be curious about the state of the business almost at all times. You always need to be asking questions about kind of where we are, if this is the right purpose that we need to have right now, and both need to be willing to hear the feedback from both sides. Right. So, so there, there, there's a challenge you know, sometimes in family businesses that the, the, the children in the next generation that want to go in the business are the ones that are least successful and the ones who go out and, and excel, you know, don't want to go in the business because they want to start their own thing. So the family has to, I talk about the family has to recruit the right person, not accept and say, well, who wants the job? Okay, you want it, it's yours. So there's that. And the other thing is the family has to reach out and, and develop and, and allow the next generation to develop new, um, new ideas. One of the things that I found about, about studying families as they cross generations uh, is that the, the myth of the family is that the older, the, the founder creates all this wealth and then, you know, the family just spends it down. That's what shirt sleeve to shirt sleeve is. But the reality is that the founder creates a great wealth generating machine. But in these successful hundred year families that I studied, there is what we call continual value creation. Every generation is adding value. So um, a family um, founder may start a wonderful business and it may have a wonderful product, but the, um, the second generation may take that product and go from a, a small niche business to taking it global and creating related products and developing uh, better capability and marketing and things like that and make the little business huge. That's right. value creation. And that's the second generation. The third generation may say, well, we're going to start some new businesses or we're going to do some, take some new initiatives and they may take some new ideas and, and, and invest in new things. So we see in successful 100-year businesses, family businesses, what we see is what I call continual value creation. Yeah, I really like that concept. I'm, I'm going to stop you there real quick because I'm, I'm thinking about a part in the book where you talk about how sometimes the person who first finds the business, the solo entrepreneur, and they're very self-starting and that sort of a thing, and they build it to where it is, and then sometimes they don't know how to raise their kids in a way that teaches them how to be a part of the family business because they weren't, they didn't grow up in that because they were kind of always in this self-starting thing. So where's the balance of trying to teach your kids like how to be a part of something kind of you created, but at the same time, figure out what your individual unique value creation is? 
Well, that's one of the other things that I learned about, about family businesses is that the family businesses that are successful are ones where they, um, what I talk about, I call it investing in the next generation. So the family business founders are people that, that were not rich. And when they started the business, they didn't set out, I'm going to get rich. They said, I really have this passion and I want to build this thing or do this thing or create this uh, entity. And so they're creators. And they go out and do it. And um, all of a sudden, when they're successful, they find themselves wealthy. Well, their kids don't grow up hungry in the same way. The kids grow up, they go to good schools, they travel around the world, they have nice houses, they live with other people that, are, that have a lot of wealth. And so they, they have a different experience of the world. They, they don't have the drive in the same way. Um, and so the challenge for the next generation is how do we take these kids that are growing up with a lot of a lot more than we had how do we create not not maybe hungriness but 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 desire to excel how do we teach them how to deal with frustration how to put in the time um, when you're not getting returns and and we, we people call it grit and 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 how to really stick to a vision not say well that didn't work out the last two days so I'm going to have another vision and keep changing all the time so Yes. Yeah, so how do people do that? First of all, they, they bring the family together regularly and they start, you know, kind of talking to the family about these young people uh, when they're early. So families do things, for example, even though these are super wealthy families, sometimes they do things like the whole family does a Habitat for Humanity or the whole family does a service day. And they, this is the way they teach values, but they also encourage people to um, do things and to do things well. You know, we see that in, in athletics, but uh, often it's an achievement. It's uh, not just, um, I take piano lessons, but I really play well. I am, uh, I'm learning to be a programmer um, and I'm, I'm doing something, um, you know, really exciting when I'm in, uh, in, in, in school. So it's a planting the ideas of excellence and then bringing the family together to value that. So to bring the family together, not to say, let's show how nice our cars are, or let's, let's uh, see if we can go on the fanciest vacation, but let's talk about um, what we stand for. Let's talk about our family foundation. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the people that don't have what we have. And um, these things come up very early because the family, even though the family, you know, maybe um, family lives all over the place and there are all these different households, they come together probably usually once a year, and they say, Let, let's learn together. Yeah, I think I think this is a perfect uh, segue into this other idea that I was fa fascinated about is you talk about how G4 families, there are, there's a lot of qualities that G4 plus families have, but you talked at a specific point in the book, there's four qualities that they have. And one of them is that they devote time to growing human capital. And that's kind of what we're talking about right now, kind of in personal development for these people who have lived under successful entrepreneurs and have probably a decent amount of wealth already. So let's just kind of talk a little bit more about what that really looks like. How do people, what are the things that they should be devoting time to in terms of actually how you grow your human capital? And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Let's look at two entrepreneurs that are very successful. Okay. One is an entrepreneur that, that's very successful, and he says, well, um, I don't have time for, for my kids, um, but I'm making all this money. My wife will take care of it. 
and they should really um, you know respect me and 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 love me because of look at look what I'm doing for them. But he's not really able to to be there for them. Um, and then you have some of the entrepreneurs and and families that I studied in my research. And they um, they do things like they they bring their kids to work if it's a if it's a place that work they they have internships they talk to them about the business they share the challenges and and the, and the problems and they um, they have ed- they, they they educate them and and they say this is what I do also um, I, I you know think of one family that that in where the the person who is the leader of the business says anytime you know one of my kids calls put me through. And then the kids go and say, hey, I'm having a meeting of my executive team and we're dealing with a you know, tremendous production issue. But, you know, tell me what you want. And he's respecting, but also they know um, what he's doing. Another family, uh, very interesting, it's a financial family and uh, they have a huge foundation, a very well-known foundation. You know, so the family business is an office of people that are doing investing. And so um, they say, well, well, you know, so, so they have a policy very interesting of um, people, you know, from 12 to 16 are encouraged to come to board meetings and business meetings. And I asked the, the, the older generation, the third generation leader, why um, they, they did that. And he said, well, we don't have a farm and we don't have a factory. We don't have a store, but we have this wonderful foundation and we want our kids to be exposed to it before they run off to college. And we want them to know that, that we don't do nothing as a family because it's not visible. We really do things. And so they, they, they encourage young people to come to the business meetings, to the, the foundation meetings and, and board meetings. And then they go off to college and they have an appreciation for what the family does, even though it's very abstract. And so um, the family members know that there's something there. They know that, that in order to be effective, you have to have great skill. You can't just come in and wing it, even in your foundation. There's skills, there's financial skills. You have to be a resource to help the people that you give money to be successful. And so they, they, they're they actively engaging the next generation. They're not saying, well, you should just like me because I'm giving you all this money. And then the only thing the kids can do is then spend the money. Whereas if, if the, they're really exposed to what the family does, they can excel and, 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 and be challenged to contribute. Yeah. So I have a thought, I have a thought and question on that. If the parents are starting to involve the kids pretty early on, I think that's really cool to get them engaged and to get them learning about what they do and get them hopefully passionate about what they do. But I can also see how sometimes kids might resist that. And they're kind of like, I don't really want to get involved with this quite yet sort of a thing. So What's the balance? What have you learned from maybe successful family businesses of the balance between trying to engage the kids early versus I don't want to force them into it? Well, if you're a parent of a teenage kid, you know, or you remember being a teenager, you know that parents can't say, you should do this. So, um, you know, what these families do is they don't say, you have to come to the family meetings. They say it's open. They say, you can come. We invite you to come. We'd like you to come. But they're, they're smart enough to know that you can't say you have to, you know, have, to, have to come now. They have to let the decision be from the child. But the other thing that they do is they have fun family gatherings. So each of these families, and these are you know, third, fourth generation families that have been together, they have usually a summer meeting or a holiday meeting at a nice 
place and they they um they include the, the children not by saying hey go sit by the swimming pool and you know go to the beach but they have activities and so they have like one one family has entrepreneurs camp for the kids another one has outdoor camp where they learn about natural resources or they they learn how to do something so they come and the kids say i can't wait for family camp because we have so much fun and i really love my cousins and we have a great time together so the idea is to create something that's enticing and, and that teaches them the values not to kind of shake your finger and say you should come here or, or to force people because they're it's it's voluntary and they, they do this when people are young because they know that that when you're in college there are other things that are on your mind and other things that you have to do so you're not, you know, some, you know, often in college saying, I can't wait to get back for family meetings. You're, you're kind of out of it. So um, they, they really get family members together when they're in town and available. And then they let them, they go off to college and graduate school and they have jobs and they learn. But then, and then they, as they get older, they get reconnected to the family business. So the, the, it's a long-term play. It's not, it's not, what do we do? next week but really how do we create an environment where the family is at least as interesting as the other things that you could do right and, and when the family then has a foundation and a set of values and a wonderful reputation then people can say well i can go out and i can join a venture capital firm or i can you know start up some things and i can do those things on my own but gee the family has these wonderful things and i'm part of it already i could get involved and and the other thing that's important to say is it isn't like okay, point your finger. You should you got to choose. You're getting your MBA. Come into the family business or don't. They say, well, look, you can. We want you to. We actually like you to work outside. We want you to develop a career. We want you to be a lawyer, or a doctor, or you know, or, or kind of work for another company. But we also want to see if you can make it to um, family meeting. And and maybe they have a thing called a family council which is like an executive committee of the family. And we want you to serve on that or come to meetings. So that they, they make things available and they don't say you have to make a choice. They say, these are things that we're doing and these are things that are you might find exciting, you might find them meaningful. So they create a, a playing field where family members can choose to be part of the family business. And, and that, that's how these great families are so successful because they, they offer a better deal to third and fourth generation family members, not just to make them rich, because they're already rich. So <laughs> it doesn't right. matter, but uh, a better way to do something important in their lives. Yeah, I think that's a really important like leadership quality and leadership lesson in the sense that don't push other people or don't necessarily force other people into doing something against their will, right? Like you said, create the environment in which the potential of that person wanting to join voluntarily is there. We talk about the family has to recruit and they have to make the choice um, interesting and they have to make it not an either or one time choice, but something that they can explore and learn about and, and, and can grow with them. And, and okay. these families that are successful for 100 years are families that, that do that. Gotcha. Yeah. And so the next thing I kind of want to get into is very much a on the topic of communication, I guess I would say, and how and how you how dealing with others. So one of the things that you have in your book is these four major transformations of generative families. One of them being 
pruning the family tree by potentially buying out some family members or, and so you can leave only those that are committed to business ownership. So basically what I kind of want to get out here is when can you tell or how do you determine whether or not somebody is definitely not committed so you should do this and kind of prune them out to use your word or when do you decide that we can find a different way to engage them? That That's a tough one and, and, and for families because you look at, first of all, the first thing you have to notice about family businesses is they're geometrically growing. So the first generation has two people, maybe two partners, you know, so it's four people and they each have a couple of kids and then those kids get married and have a couple of kids. So by the third and fourth generation, you have 60, 80, 100. Some of these families that are fifth generation have literally hundreds of family members. And so the family members um, inherit smaller and smaller shares. So you have a situation, for example, where a family is a billion dollar, you know, kind of well-known family and everybody says, wow, that family is rich. But there are 200 family members. And so the, the value of the ownership for each of the 200 owners is not that great. And people are going around saying, hey, you're a so-and-so, you're rich. And they're saying, are you kidding? <laughs> I have one tenth of 100%. So sometimes family members, they have, they, they call the, the income that comes from the f family business, if it comes at all, as well, this, this helps me pay my kids tuition, or sometimes family has a trust that pays for education, things like that. But the family members say, well, gee, I'd rather take my, you know, 0.1% share and sell it and start my own business or do something that I want to do. So the families offer a buyout, but, but here's the, the problem. So, you know, let's say the families, you sell your shares at X moment in time. And then, you know, like 20 years later, you see the family members have grown the business to five times the size. You, you've sold a very good investment. So people have to look at it and say, and the other thing is, is that when you sell your shares, that means that your next generation, your children can't benefit in the same way. So family members have to think about it, but every family gets to the point where saying, well, look, if you're a small shareholder, um, of course, we'll buy back your shares and, and, and you can cash them out. And that way the family ends up, instead of having 100 shareholders, they may have 40 and those 40 shareholders really want to be there and, and, and uh, you know, want to be part of the whole thing. Yeah, so what, what have you seen as successful ways that people go about having that conversation? Because I'm sure it's a high tense conversation and kind of a conversation probably a lot of people avoid. So what's the way that you would advise family members to go about having that conversation? The, the family has to look ahead to the next generation and create these mechanisms. They, they, they have, we call them shareholder agreements, which are in every company. How do you, sh you sell the shares? If, if there's no public um, ownership, you can't you know, you know, go out and say, I wanna sell my shares, no one will buy them. So the family creates a marketplace. So the family has to say, um, you know, set the rules and the families do that for the future. The, the second generation gets together and creates a um, set of rules, including how do you sell your shares back? How do you get to set the value? Uh, who buys it? Uh, if you want to sell your shares, does the family have to buy them back? 
how long a payout is it? Is it, a, you know, do you get paid out over five or 10 years, which is sometimes the case. So the family sets rules in advance. And um, mm-hmm. this is what we talk about these families because they have a complicated business and a lot of people, they have to set rules. And this is what we call governance. So the families have rules, they have policies. They say, if you want a job in the business, um, you have to have, an, for example, an advanced degree and you have to work outside the business. If you um, want to join the board of the business, this is how the board is selected. Um, if you want to become uh, involved in the foundation, here's how to do it. The families have extensive policies and rules that they bring together. And very often these families have what we call a family charter or a family constitution that says, if you're a member of this family, and, and, and most prominent families, we don't. these are not public documents and these are not things that you know, a lot of people know about, but these families have a very, have some very clear policies for um, how to do things and how things are done, how to deal with conflict and what to do if you misbehave. And, and there are all kinds of things that families do that are unusual because most families don't have giant corporations right. or investment, uh, you know, things. Yeah. And, and this is actually very much a I'm relating this very much to a leadership quality that I've learned a lot about through a lot of podcast interviews is that the importance of setting clear expectations. And if you set that clear expectation beforehand and the person in the family doesn't live up to it, then it's like they know they didn't leave up, live up to the expectation. So they shouldn't expect a certain thing. Um, and that way, if they're not, if they don't live up to it, it's not like this person in my family is being mean to me. It's, I didn't live up to the expectation, so I'm not getting the result or outcome. So I talk about in the model of, of the family, there's, there's a core of values, and uh, this is what we stand for. This is our value. This is our mission. This is our purpose, and that's important, but you have these values and purpose, and they're just words. Right. So the next thing is, is well, how do we make this happen? And so then, then around the, the purpose and the values, you need to have an organization of policies and rules and practices. And these families have the values, but they, the values don't, don't make themselves real. The values don't just happen. The family then has to set up a, um, a process for doing that. How do family members share their ideas? How do we, if we disagree, how do we work it out? How do we select the leader? You say the leader should be the most competent person, and you've got 40 family members who are very smart and very dedicated and or five of them are working in the business. How do you select the best leader? Let's just say there are often differences of opinion. Yeah. Um, and after that person is selected, um, you know, what do you do with the people that don't get selected in, in public corporations? They go out and they run other companies uh, in family businesses. The, um, the, the people that aren't the leaders are, are, are there forever. Um, and you've got to live with them. And, uh, and they, they want their kids to be in the business. So it's, it's, it's a lot more challenging than, you know, public corporation, um, when they select the leader, the leader cleans house in a family business, the new leader comes in and, um, you know, he or she can't exactly clean house because they're family. Yeah. Well, so, so stemming from that, stemming from that, if, you know, these conflicts or these conflicts in family businesses arise in a lot of different forms and a lot of different fashions, including this, if somebody gets, 
you know, promoted to a leadership position and their cousin or sibling or someone doesn't. What So what have you learned through your study about how these successful family businesses go about resolving these conflicts? Because you don't want them to just, this conflict to fester over time and then blow up. So how, what have you learned about conflict resolution? Well, families are not uh, set up to deal with conflict. So families have a hard time facing it. So let's say that the main way that families deal with conflict is avoidance. And it works in a family. I mean, if someone is, you know, is, is, is pissed or something, sometimes it's best just not to talk about it. When there's a business, um, let's say the, the issue is, is that somebody's working there and he uh, is not performing and he promised and took a job and other people are kind of saying, hey, so-and-so is from the family. We can't you know, tell him that he's screwing up. <laughs> and so the family has a conflict and the person the parents of this person, let's say they, 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 they find it hard to admit that their son is screwing up and the other um, people from the other branches are not. And so there's, there's conflict. So the family has to have a way of doing it. Some families have you know, something like an elders council. Some families use the board, the family board that has non, that has usually has independent non-family members on it to evaluate performance. There have been families where they um, dismissed a family member and um, the family, uh, you know, person who was dismissed and also the parents and other people in that branch of the family were all really upset. Sometimes they say, fine, we're going to sell our shares and, and leave. And sometimes they say, well, we're pissed, but let's move on. And it, it, it's very complicated because... Um, you, you can't fire people in a family business, so um, you really have to deal with conflict, whereas in, in other systems, the preferred way of dealing with conflict is, is just fire the guy or you know kick him out. Can't yeah. do that in a family. Awesome, awesome. Well, down to uh, the last few questions. Something I'm really intrigued about is, you know, you've been doing a lot of studying on family businesses stuff right now, and family business lessons have applicability both to solely businesses and both to just families. So a question for you personally is, how has the different research and studies that you've done affected how you've changed your behavior within your own family? Well, so all the things that I learned, I have three sons who are all grown and grandchildren. And so uh, I find that things that family business members do, talking about things, talking about money, even if you don't have a family business, if you're successful, um, the question is, you know, when do you get help from the family? Uh, how do you pay for college? How do you pay for house? So, so we have, like, you know, other affluent families, um, we have family conversations. We talk about fairness. Um, where where we're transparent, not of everything about money, but you know the the plans that I have for my future, the, the kinds of things that I can really support and help people with, and things that I don't want to be bothered by, you know, are, are clear to everybody. So we have family meetings, and we're not a you know a family company. We have discussions about money, and we're not billionaires, um, and 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 we um, really care about the future. So um, it's it's not that the money that you know, my wife and I have is not, it's not our money, but it's not a free for all for everybody in the family. We have to talk about, I want the money you know, to support us 
and to support my grandchildren and to help my grandchildren. So we, we have to be very thoughtful about finances. So these are all lessons that you can take from family businesses and what they do and apply to uh, families. I, I'm, I'm, you know, um, and, and I think that, that the best features of family businesses are really good lessons for everybody. Right. And I think, and that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to have you on because a lot of times when people hear the phrase best version of yourself, everybody is solely thinking about self-improvement or maybe improving in their professional life and their job and stuff like that. But the way I approach it is the best version of yourself is all encompassing, like a huge portion, a huge portion of becoming the best version of yourself is forming the family that you want to have and being the person in your family that you want to have. So I think that all these lessons are super applicable to. I mean, I think this is an important point to make even at the end of the thing is that that a lot of the discussions in the world today and in the U.S. particularly is about be the best person you be, be the, um, you know, find out your passion, things like that. And we are not independent. We come from our families and uh, we create families for the future. We're really embedded in a social system. And if you go to uh, Asia and you go to other cultures, you see that the, 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 the idea of the independent self is not true. Who you are is from your family and, and, um, and families can support each other. So I, uh, in my book, I'm not studying individuals and I'm not studying businesses. I am studying families and families that are extraordinarily successful. And what I'm looking at is how they develop great people. Um, and the people um, do not just spring up as independent, uh, you know, flowers. The flowers come from somewhere. They have history, and they also have a, a future. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I'm trying to um, talk about connectedness and community and mutual support, which all begin in the family. Yeah, and I, and I think I what popped in my head is what we talked about in the beginning. It's you're because you come from your family. Be curious about where your family came from and what they did to get to where they are and everything like that, because that's going to help you along your own journey for sure. So the second to last question that I'm going to ask, is going to have a little bit of a different tone, but basically I think that one of the ways to, one of the best ways to get closer to the best version of yourself is to kind of put a picture on what the best version of yourself kind of looks like and what that person might be capable of and to figure out how to reverse engineer him and make that person a reality. Like what steps can I take to get closer to that person? So a specific question for you, is there a specific skill or piece of knowledge that the best version of Dr. Jaffe has that you don't currently have? Well, look at me, I'm I'm an elder. I've been um, working um, professionally for over, 50 years. And, and so um, what I am, and I'm, I'm officially retired. I was a professor. Um, I don't have a day job. I work at my home. So I'm in a new career. Um, now, this is the first generation in the history of the world where people that are, that are 70, 80 year old, not just al- alive, but you know, they're, not, they're not checking out yet. I mean, we have two you know, multi seventy-year-olds, you know, running for president, um, whoever they are, and um, you know, and, and and things like that. So there's a career. So uh, what I see my, for myself is 
that, that, that I'm on a, I've created a plateau. I've, I've worked very hard and I've, I've developed skills and reputation and achievements that take me. And, and so what I want to do now is not, I don't have new plateaus that I'm aiming at, but what I want to do is, is give and share what I've developed over the years um, uh, with, with other people, with families that are setting up family businesses, with people that are growing and developing. And, uh, um, and, 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 that, and that's my, um, you know, kind of vision. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful vision because I never expected to be uh, working at this stage of life, but it builds on what I've done for the past 50 years. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Well, before I ask the last question, Dr. Jaffe, I want to acknowledge you for your consistent work on your study for the last 50 years. I think consistency towards a specific topic is really hard because I think a lot of people sometimes lose focus. And for you to be able to stay focused on just learning and learning and learning and diving in to this topic has been super cool. And for you to want to share that knowledge with other people so that they can develop the best family businesses, the best families and the best businesses possible. Uh, it's super cool. And I know you're doing a, a great job of that. So I want to make sure everybody goes and gets the new book borrowed from your grandchildren. Um, and with the, and with that being said, you, they can get the book. Um, you can go support you on your website at DennisJaffe.com and on you're on LinkedIn as well. Is there any other best way people can go support you? No, that um, my website, um, I believe in open source. So I've written a lot of things. And one of the ways that I give back is by putting everything up there that you can download. So it's full of things. It, it's about family businesses. So it's about new and, and, and old uh, family businesses and families that work together, um, which is the focus uh, of my work. And the book is on Amazon and you can get a, you know, kind of an iBook version. You can get a print version. Um, and it tells the stories of, um, uh, from my interviews with a hundred families all over the world that are a hundred years, um, or more, um, uh, old and, and how they have done the journey and what they've learned and what they, they, they have to teach to, uh, other families who were earlier stages of that journey. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I love so much about the book is when I was when I've been reading it, it's like inspired me to want to potentially create something like that in my own life and with, and with my own family. So um, I want to I want to thank you for that. So the last question that I have for you is: I think that becoming the best version of yourself is a constant journey. I don't know if we're ever at that best version of ourselves, and I also believe it's a unique journey. I think the way that I'm going to become the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get to the best version of yourself. And so what I want to ask again for you personally is if there are three things that you could currently do or currently work on to get closer to that best version of yourself. What are those three things that you could do or work on? Well, I think the first thing is to really clarify your values and, and what you stand for and, and, and not just to pat yourself on the back, but to say, what are the values that I, that I respect that I, I need to work on um, more effectively? And um, so you, you do a little bit of a uh, kind of a self-critique and you really try to live uh, your values. I think creating a life plan is really important. Even if, if you're young, if, if you're my age, um, you still want to create a, a plan for uh, what it is that you want to do, what new things do you want to develop, what do you have to start doing, and, and really, you know, like keep looking um, and you don't create a new life plan every month or every year. But, um, you know, having a five-year plan is, is a good thing and amending it 
um, you know, now and then is, is a good thing. So that that's that's two. And I think um, the other is to um, you know really look at your controlling nature and really ask and learn from other people. So it's kind of like let go of your own assumptions and your own it has to be this way and listen and learn from other people. So those are three pretty good ones. Uh, I could yeah, those that. are three. But if you do those, you're you're on a, you're cruising on a, on a on a good course. Yeah, those are three good ones for sure. Well, that's all we got today. I really appreciate it. Great. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Jaffe. If you enjoyed it, be sure to grab his book, Borrowed from Your Grandchildren, The Evolution of 100-Year Family Enterprises by going to DennisJaffe.com. That's D-E-N-N-I-S-J-A-F-F-E. Remember, in order to prevent and minimize conflict in your family business or in any relationship that you're in, set some rules in advance. Be clear on what expectations are on the front end so everyone is clear and knows what is expected of them. And whether you're part of a family business, you own a family business, or you're part of just a business in general, be sure to schedule some time together to discuss mission, vision, and values. Let everyone weigh in on these so they can be defined as a team. This way, everyone will stay motivated and engaged. To all you out there listening, I just want to say how much I appreciate you. You're using your time so wisely during all of this to learn, improve, and grow. You're being proactive to grow yourself now so that you're better equipped when we return to normalcy. Believe me, it will pay off. So keep on keeping on. We'll get through this together and we'll be better for it. But for now, it's time. It's time to take action, to get clear on your vision so you can get closer and closer to your best you.